Volume. Previously on Too Many Enemies. South African politics has evolved, particularly with the change of guard and the presidency at Lutuli House. That has been the, the narrative that we've been pursuing, mm. that he could have been killed because of his opposition or his fights with the Northwest Provincial Government. If these guys were hired and the killer did not, doesn't give them the money, they are going to spill the beans. Then the person who hired them must be able to service that debt for the rest of his life. I arrive outside the Pretoria High Court a little after 8.30 in the morning. A small group has formed. It's Friday the 7th of August, 2020. I'm here to see alleged assassin Vusi KK Matebela and his co-accused in the flesh but the authorities at the court are being particularly choosy with who they let inside because of the security needed on the case coupled with COVID-19. Morning, sir. Morning. Where to? Where to? Uh, court GA. GM. GA. GA. Yeah. For what? To uh, the media. To. Uh, they never told us about this. No, I made a, I made a email. Where is the proof of arrangement, they say? You must give us the proof of arrangement. First of all, there is no camera allowed inside. No, I know. Yeah, so it's the last day that the Wandile Boswana murder case will be appearing in court for a while. So I have to grab this opportunity to get inside. I explained that I've made an application to the court over email to observe as media. It doesn't sound like they've received it. Then another security guard comes out and I explain again who I am. I, I'm just here to... Um... Let, me, let me wear a mask, let me wear a mask. Sure, sure, thanks. He covers his face with his hand as a kind of courtesy and then goes off to fetch his mask. Which court are you going to? To GA. To? GA. 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 Oh, come here. You hear that buzz on the tape? That's me going through the metal detector. No one has scanned or checked my bags. At least not yet. GA. Oh, Vusi Keke's case. Yes, yes. He acknowledges it being Vusi Keke's case with a sly smile. Like, now he understands why I'm here. Why are you from ENCA? No, I'm from uh, Volume. Volume. There is absolutely zero recognition of our company Volume or the idea of podcasting in general. I go back through the metal detector. Can I learn that one media go? Can you introduce yourself? Hello. Morning, morning, how are you? Sorry, my name is Paul. So um, I'm here from Volume. I'm, we're covering the Bushi KK case. Okay. No, it's fine. We're sitting okay. at GA. We're going to start at 10. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Success. I, I have been granted access. Yeah. That's me going through the metal detector for a third time. I've entered the court now with a free pass to just roam around. No one has checked or scanned my bags, despite the heavy security for the case. When I enter the courtroom, number GA, I count five private security guards with rifles, plus a handful of cops. At first, it is just me and the security sitting and waiting for the alleged assassins, the men on trial for murdering Wandile Boswana.
Welcome to Too Many Enemies. I'm Paul McNally. This is episode three of six. During this series, we will be looking at the assassination of billionaire Wandile Boswana and what his murder means for the state of politics, crime and justice in South Africa. pick up the story while we stand and wait for Judge Masopa. The four co-accused walk up into the dock a few benches in front of me. The co-accused are Sipo Patrick Hudler, Matamela Robert Matapa, Bonginkosi Paul Kamalo, and Vusi KK Matabela. More on KK in a minute. They have all pleaded not guilty to Boswana's murder and the attempted murder of his partner, the woman who Boswana, you'll remember, tried to shield from the bullets with his own body, Umpu Beloy. Vusi doesn't have on his usual large glasses today, which I can sympathize with, because if you wear a mask like he is, and glasses, your lenses fog up. And this detail makes him distinctly relatable from across the courtroom as he slides between his lawyers, chatting with each of them. While his co-accused look defeated, each slouched on the bench, Vusi has a permanent smirk on his face as he flaunts his usual slim-fit suit jacket and scarf. He has really fascinated me, actually. This is reporter Zelda Fenter from Pretoria News talking about her impressions of Vusi in court. You know, but you can imagine this this tiny little guy that looks like he's out of a Gucci magazine or something, being so ruthless because he doesn't look that way. Yeah. You know, you can't imagine he can hurt a fly. He looks like a nerd, really, you know? Vusi. Vusi, yeah. yeah. With his glasses on, pleasant looking, as I say, nerdish looking. And, you know, he looks like all dressed up to the T's. Slight build as well. Very. A tiny, tiny guy. In fact, look, I'm not a tall person and I think he's about the same height that I am. Mm. Um, but scary. A few times that I, that I looked at him in court and he looked at me and I sort of got the chills, you know. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's because of the word on the street that he's such a ruthless person. Mm. Look, I don't know him at all, obviously. I just hear how influential he is. And I've seen it by way of his bodyguards. Since Vusi has been moved to C-Max, he doesn't need his own security. The state has him covered. But at the time that Zelda is talking about, these were heavily armed men, all on Vusi's payroll. At first I couldn't figure out who these people were, you Mm. know. Um, Because I had like, in the movies, you know, these little earphones with, um, and dressed in black and suits and everything. Yeah. And then later, obviously, I gathered because of, during breaks, you know, they would stand sort of around them in the dock and, and so on. But Zelda says she found the guards pretty intimidating. Not verbally, but their presence, and they would watch where you are. And I normally take my own pictures with my cell phone Mm. um, in court. And I did take a a few pictures of him, but I was always, I wasn't very comfortable doing that. Mm. Where in a normal court case, I mean, I do it every day of my life. I'll go up to the dock and I'll go and take a picture. And with him and him like, you know, looking at you, I just felt uncomfortable. Mm. (laughs) 
my focus was on Vossi as a, you know, a taxi owner and this infamous character from, from Mamelodi and how he terrorized the community. This is Tankiso Maketa, a journalist at the Soweto newspaper. I mean, this guy was running a taxi empire at the age of like 26, 27, you know. It's a very young age for, for you know, to, to be a taxi owner mm. and to be a taxi owner of multiple taxis. And he's obviously built a reputation for himself. He's very feared. That goes without saying in Mamelodi, I mean, you know. Mamelodi is an informal settlement northeast of Pretoria, and Vusi is a member of the Taxi Association there, having gotten his start through his late father and late uncle. He's owned numerous bars around Pretoria. Like, he's, he's well-known. In the underground, he's well-known. This guy had a picture with Floyd Mayweather when Floyd Mayweather was in town. There has been plenty written in the press about Vusi having immense power in Mamelodi and running extortion operations even towards other taxi owners. He has henchmen, so to speak, who conduct business on his behalf. They obviously go to businesses and they tell businesses that we are aligned with uh, the certain character and the certain character wants a percentage from the money that you're making or the money that you're going to be receiving to roll through your business in, in our community. Like, for example, if there is a major construction uh, project happening in that area for service delivery, for example, and some company is able to land that project, they allegedly go to, to this company and tells them that you need to pay us a, a particular percentage because this is our neighborhood. You can't mm. conduct business here without us knowing and without us being involved. When Vusi was out on bail for the Boswana murder, because initially he was granted bail for the charges of murder and conspiracy to commit murder, he was still running his empire. The minister of police, Begele, went to Mamelodi after the community started complaining. Um, and he promised to, to, to arrest uh, Vusi because everyone was pointing a finger at Vusi. And there were, you know, cases opened against him. Now, as part of his bail conditions, he's not allowed to, to have any matter open against him if he's still, if he's out on bail on something else. In March 2019, he was arrested on charges of assault, extortion and intimidation following allegations that he ran an extortion ring in Mamelodi. This is what caused him to lose his 50,000 rand or $3,000 bail. So cases against him were, were open. There were statements that were taken in. And uh, yeah, then he was arrested. He was rearrested and his bill was revoked. Vusi's then alive uncle submitted an affidavit to the court saying that he couldn't be deprived bail because he was needed to run the taxi empire. Apparently Vusi had a, a set of special skills that allowed him to run the taxi empire mm. um, properly as opposed to his sister who was, I'm not sure if she's still running it, but she was the one that was running it. And in the affidavit, the uncle also explained that um, these taxi taxi drivers basically undermine her because you know it's a it's a very patriarchal uh, industry, so yeah. male dominated. I should stress at this point that these accusations are alleged. Even the extortion charges that lost Vusi his bail have been dropped. Here is Zelda again to explain. They were well, why were they dropped? Do you know? <laughs> well. Yeah, the, the um, complainants are scared now oh, really? and they withdrew their complaints. Mm. 
Vusi has made several public denials through his business associate. And this includes saying to the Sowetan newspaper in December 2018 that people were simply using Vusi's name to extort money from community members in Maimalodi. But it wasn't actually him. He said the allegations were, quote, absolute madness, end quote, and a, quote, smear campaign, end quote. Here's Tankiso again. During the period when he got bail and up until he lost it, there were a lot of allegations about him um, extorting money from taxi, t- other taxi drivers, um, from businessmen. You know, the project's not going to go through because it's going to be sabotage. Uh, things are going to go missing. People are going to get hurt. But you don't pull a man like Vusi out of the system and put him in jail without there being some considerable disruption. There have been a number of uh, protests uh, staged by um, taxi drivers affiliated to the taxi association that they allegedly had to pay around, I think, 200 a week, if not 300 a week, uh, towards Vusi. But the association itself never confirmed this because, I mean, you, you, you don't want to seem as though, mm. as an association, that you, you are basically being held at gunpoint by one individual. We are going to get some confirmation on this in the next episode. Where this person basically extorts members of your association uh, to operate in the routes that they operate in. So when he was arrested, the taxi, taxi drivers re- revolted, basically, and, and, and asked, why are we still paying um, these sums of money if he's arrested? Who are we paying them to? You know? But the association never confirmed any of these allegations. We only spoke to uh, taxi drivers who said, yeah, this, we pay 200 a week or 300 a week, and it apparently goes towards Vusi. And then when he was arrested, then it's kind of like, well, then we should stop doing that now. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they revolted. Like, we, we, we need to stop doing this. We don't understand the logic behind it. While Vusi was getting his bail revoked, another scandal emerged surrounding his passport. Matibula had not handed over his, uh, his passport because mm. as part of the bail conditions, you're not allowed to, to travel abroad. And he had actually left the country and went on holiday with his family. Here is Zelda again. He did go to Mauritius, if I recall now, mm. on his passport, which was one of his bail conditions that he had to hand in his passport, his initial bail conditions on the Botswana mm. murder. And he was on his way to Dubai. Right. He was on the airport when they um, arrested him. He'd taken a family holiday to Mauritius and was on the verge of taking another trip to Dubai. And on top of that, he hadn't kept strictly to his bail conditions, like reporting to the police station on a regular basis. There was um, a police officer who allegedly gave him uh, his passport. Apparently there was an arrangement of sorts that was made um, where this police officer allegedly went to go drop off his passport at his home. Now, we're not sure what sort of transaction transpired between um, during that process. Uh, but when he left, when he left the country, there was a police officer that gave him uh, this, this, this. This was what was ventilated in court during, during that trial, um, gave him the passport. And when he came back, he returned the passport. There are three things that are crucial for the state's case against Vusi. One is CCTV footage. Second are the cell phone records that I'm hearing about while sitting today in court. And third, well, there are confessions from Vusi's co-accused and they incriminate him badly. 
Let's start with the CCTV footage. The footage basically captures these four men. Well, it wasn't only four of them. There's, there's, there are others that are still outstanding that haven't been arrested as yet. Mm. Um, it captures these guys, um, basically following Botswana from Santon City, you know, pertaining to them basically stalking Botswana. According to the prosecution, Botswana and his business partner Beloy were followed while they went to a shoe store inside the Santon City Mall, as well as when they visited a hair and nail salon where they both got manicures and pedicures. Next, let's take a look at the cell phone records. When I was sitting in court, this is what we were going over. The prosecution was taking us step by step through exactly where the accused went that day via cell phone records. It's a way to see if the accused were near the deceased on the day of the murder. When your cell phone is used, be that to make a call, send a text message, or access data near a specific tower, then it logs your location. Here's Tankiso again. These guys called each other in between, and how, how many? Well, he didn't. He didn't specify the number of calls that you know they had between each other, but he he did say there was confirmed that there was communication between all of them. Mm. So. There was also a bit of a highlight because it further confirms the state's uh, case or suspicion that these guys worked together, that there was a common common purpose. And Vusi was involved in that, that of course, um, of course, um, that, that communication, especially with uh, accused four, um, according to to uh, cell phone records that were presented in court. Um, him and Kumalo spoke quite a number of times. Now let's move to the most recent development in the state's case, the confessions from the co-accused. Here's Zelda again. Now this confession is much contested, obviously, by the, by the defense, because if this is allowed, it is damning. She's talking about the confession from co-accused Sipo Hudler. He was waiting on the day of the incident at a um, taxi rank with some of these co-accused. When one of the guys got a call from Vusi. Now he just said Vusi in his in his confession. He didn't give the surname, but I mean, I suppose it goes without saying that it would be um, Vusi Matibele. Vusi told them to meet him outside the nail bar in Santon. And they went there and they met up with Vusi, and he pointed out Boswana inside the nail bar. Hutla didn't mention anything about the lady with with Boswana, but anyway, he pointed out Boswana. And Vusi apparently told him that he had a problem with that guy. Now, Hudla didn't know at the time that it was Buzwana. In fact, he, uh, he didn't seem to have known at all that who, who he was going to shoot. Here's Tankiso again. So they all gathered and they went to Santon to go meet with Vusi. And obviously they hatched a plan there. Vusi told them, that's the guy that we're following. We need to, you know, get rid of that guy. So their confession statements basically implicated Fossi in, in the murder. And the CCTV footage that was obtained by the police officers or the investigating officers um, also um, implicated Fossi as well. Okay. Mm. Didn't place him at the scene of the crime, but placed him like nearby. Basically, nearby and, and based on the confession statements that he allegedly, um, you know, ordered the hit on him. Basically, he, he got these guys in and told this guy, these guys that we need to follow this guy and we need to kill this guy. They then followed Boswana and his partner to Ravonia, to the McDonald's, where they had lunch. And while they were there, one of the co-accused got out of the car and he came back with um, a gun, with two guns actually. The one was an AK and the other one was a handgun. And um, 
apparently these guns were handed to him, to the other guy by Vusi. Hoodla said that he got, um, they handed him the AK and then they followed the car, um, Boswana and them, to um, Pretoria. Now we're getting to the off-ramp where the murder happened. He and he, one of his co-accused got out of the car. He went to the passenger side and his co-accused went to the driver's side. And Hoodla said that he just opened fire, I think about five shots. And, um, and then they ran back into the car and they left. And then they stopped at a garage, I can't remember now where it was, a, um, anyway, somewhere in Joburg, a, a petrol garage where mm. Vusi then, they met up with Vusi again and that he gave them, I think it was 60,000 rand in cash, which I then split. Wow. Yeah, so as I say, I don't know. they contesting this whole thing, um, but it's damning evidence. I should mention that Hudler has since retracted his confession and said that the police got it out of him under duress. Here is Tankiso again talking about Vusi. He, he calls the shots, basically. You know, I mean, he's the one that called them. He's the one that said, OK, we need to take this guy out. And this is according to them. And he's the one that, you know, gave him money for it. He's the one that paid them. Mm. And he paid them in like wards of money, you know, wards of, 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 of cash, hard cash. And there's one line that sticks out from uh, Mutapa's confession um, about how he said, so we met Vusi in, 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 in Santon. I knew that it was Vusi. It's the second time that I met Vusi. And I wanted to shake his hand and he didn't want to shake our hands. And he didn't recognize us. That's obviously there's, there's a, you know, a lopsided, um, there's a power dynamic of sorts in, in his relations with all these guys that these guys can recognize him and he doesn't care who they mm. are and doesn't recognize them, you know, and doesn't even want to shake their hands. I asked Zelda if the confession is going to continue to be contested in court. I think the defense will have to really pull, pull out all the stops <laughs> if they don't want it in because it's provisionally being allowed and that means that the judge was doubtful that this confession was made under duration, that they were forced into making this confession. This occurrence of the alleged assassins turning on each other is really compelling to me. I turn to Mark Shaw, the director of the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime, who we heard from in a previous episode, for more of an explanation. The hitmen themselves sometimes talk, and, and this seems to be the case here. So the hitmen themselves have, have, uh, have talked and ratted out um, the, the person who allegedly hired them. And, and that's important in themselves on the basis of what we know, because hitmen are fundamentally tools of the commercialization of violence. And in our interviews with hitmen and our own studies, you know, hitmen may not necessarily know who they are killing. And indeed, in this case, according to media reports, uh, the hitmen were pointed out, uh, Boswana was pointed to as someone they should kill they didn't fundamentally know who they were. And, and you know, you, you see this in, in who, who he was. You see this in other cases. If you can get to the hitman, then, of course, it's quite hard from an investigative point of view often to close the deal. And, of course, that to, to find who was the person behind the murder. And you, you need, of course, evidence that money was exchanged and, and evidence that um, a direct link was made 
uh, which is really in, irrefutable, that, that, that can't be disputed. Now, that adds an interesting dimension more generally, which is in our experience, including in South Africa, hitmen often end up dead for that reason. So, um, of course, uh, uh, there's uh, uh, being a hitman uh, um, uh, uh, suggests a degree of moral depravity, if you like. But if you are brought up in a hostel or in the taxi business and you, you learn those particular skills, hitmen mm. we have spoken to are also very aware that they may end up dead. And, and they end up dead because they, they know too much. And they are a threat to what you might call criminal bosses or those who have uh, ordered them to, to carry out the killing. And so uh, what certainly happens in a higher profile cases is that they become uh, uh, particularly uh, vulnerable. And there really are numerous cases of, of that. Here I am talking to Tankiso again about why Vusi got arrested for this particular crime rather than any other. I'm fascinated by this idea that this is the crime. So this guy has this history of all this extortion. Why is it this crime, the Boswana killing, that sort of tripped him up? That I mean, people must have had the opportunity to roll on him. Ages ago. Ages ago, numerous times, for bigger sums of money. Of course, um, Vosi was arrested for this because the state has evidence for it, you know. The state has enough evidence to, to, to pin him down to, to a crime. That's why, he's, he, that's why he tripped up. He tripped up because the CCTV footage, he tripped up because there's confession statements, you know. He tripped up because there are witnesses, you know. So that's the only reason why he tripped up. It's, it's the sort of case where even with, with an extortion, with an extortion matter, I can still go and intimidate the person that I'm extortion, the, that I'm committing an, an extortion against to say, withdraw your charges or else, you know. I still have that, that, that control over him. But in this matter, he has no control over the investigation, he has no control over the witnesses, he has no control at all. All the evidence that the state has is beyond his control. And why doesn't he have any control in this case? Well, why is that? Every dog has a stay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Mark from the Global Initiative again, giving a broader perspective on Vusi's involvement in the Boswana case. This is quite a classic case, I think, because it has the overlays of the taxi industry. The, the accused person is a, a prominent taxi boss with a history of violence in, in uh, Mamelodi in Pretoria. So it illustrates the degree to which he would have been able to access hitmen in the industry. And, and my experience of Speaking to some, and I, you know, in, in is people are damaged badly, and and uh, they they psychologically distance themselves from the act because they 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 talk about it as just a job, and I think that's a way to dehumanize it in a way. So they are simply, it's the only way that they can then, in a way, live with themselves. Once they get into it, I, I my sense is it's quite hard to get out of it. You know, a middle-level gang boss or a middle-level taxi boss killed in a hit, you know, there are numerous examples. The chances of arrest are small uh, um, uh, because there they are, they are, of course, many cases to follow up and they don't necessarily have the profile of the case that, that you are looking at in greater detail. And that's where we're going to go in the next episode, deeper inside the taxi industry in South Africa. And we will find out why it is so interlinked with assassinations. 
We will even go to Mamalodi. All this next time on Too Many Enemies. You've been listening to Too Many Enemies. This podcast series has been produced by me, Paul McNally, and podcasting company Volume. It's brought to you by the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime in partnership with News24. You can find out more about the Global Initiative by visiting globalinitiative.net. That's globalinitiative.net. The music for this series was composed by Aman Mori. This episode was mixed and mastered by Gwynch Sarame and Richard Rumney. Join me next time for the fourth episode in this series of Too Many Enemies. Goodbye. Next time on Too Many Enemies. The Gauteng government has dissolved the Mamelodi Taxi Association following acts of violence in the area. Bushikeke collected money from the, uh, from the taxis illegally as well. Mm. And um, obviously, all the taxis are a bit scared to speak about him because mm. violence might follow. Volume.